Well, I trust that reflecting on Christ's incarnation this Christmas season has left your heart struck with awe and filled with praise as we approach a new year. It's hard to believe we've already reached the last day of this year, and tomorrow we enter a new one. And there is so much to thank the Lord for in our past year here, and also so much to be excited for what the Lord has in store in the year ahead. This morning, I want to take some time to help us think about how to approach this next year, both individually and as a church. I want you to have a blessed year, and I believe Psalm 1 shows us how to walk in the path that God blesses. And so I invite you to turn there with me to Psalm 1. If you just turn to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably land in the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, the first psalm of the Psalter. Beginning, beginning in verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the many ways you have blessed our lives in this past year. And we look forward to what lies ahead in the new one. Help us, Lord, to to plan well, prepare well for the new year. Help us to be good stewards of the resources you steward us with and the responsibilities that you give us to live lives that glorify you. I ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding of this psalm and its implications for our lives and equip us to live faithfully before you as we approach this next year. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The book of Psalms is a book of worship. It's a book about praising God. It's a book about celebrating who God is and what God has done in his creation of all things and in the salvation that he brings to his covenant people and the judgment that he brings to his enemies and the establishment of his kingdom. It's been said that Psalm 1 and also Psalm 2 together are like gateways at the entryway into worship. Psalm 1 stands at the very beginning to confront those who seek to join the assembly to worship God. And it draws a line of separation between true worshipers and the superficial. It shows you the key marks of the blessed man and the blessed path that he is on. 
And it contrasts that blessed path of the righteous against the way of the wicked who are in rebellion against God. The word blessed in verse 1 conveys a sense of a deep happiness, a joy, satisfaction that results from being under the favor and blessing of God. It comes from knowing that you're in covenant relationship with God through faith. It comes from a conscience that is clean, knowing you are reconciled to God and that you're walking in harmony with how God would have you walk, living for his glory. There is no substitute for having this blessedness in your life. No amount of earthly treasure or status or accomplishments even comes close. And so as we work our way through Psalm 1 this morning, I want to highlight for you four keys to keeping your feet in the path that God blesses so that you can be clear on how to keep your feet in that path as we approach the new year. My prayer for us all is that God will use this psalm in our lives to help us recalibrate our focus afresh in the coming year so we can experience the rich blessedness of walking in the path that God blesses. And so the first key I want to point out to you to walking in the path that God blesses is that you must resist worldly influences. You must resist worldly influences. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You probably heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you eat. If you eat an unhealthy diet, you can expect that you won't be very healthy. It'll catch up with you. That's the kind of principle that we see at the beginning of this psalm in relation to the counsel of the wicked. The blessed man is the one who resists the counsel of the wicked because he knows that the wicked are in rebellion against God. He knows that they're in rebellion against God and therefore he knows how they think about life, the the philosophies that he believes, what governs how he views the world, what governs how he lives, and that he holds the philosophies that are counter to the truth of God. They don't have a God-centered perspective. They have a man-centered one. And this affects what they believe your priorities should be. It affects what they think your aims in life should be. It affects what they think your motivations should be for what you do. It affects how they define success in life. And on and on. Their counsel is fundamentally flawed because of their unreconciled relationship to God. And so the blessed man considers the source of that counsel. Garbage in, garbage out. If you submit yourself to counsel that comes from the wicked, you will end up thinking like the wicked. And you will end up thinking like those who are in rebellion against God and live in ways that are in rebellion against God, living in ways that God despises. And so the blessed man recognizes that entertaining the counsel of the wicked will inevitably lead to participating in their conduct. 
their counsel leads to their conduct. Those who walk in the counsel of the wicked will most assuredly end up standing in the path of sinners and being firmly seated in the identity of one who scoffs at the true God and scoffs at his righteous ones. There are people who profess to follow Christ, who walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the path of sinners and sit in the seat of the scoffer, scoffing at God and his righteous ones. They think that they're followers of Christ, but they have a different conception of Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. And so this psalm serves as a warning to those who have a Christian shell, but are filled to their core with the philosophies of the world. They are not on the path that God blesses. But even true believers can at times be influenced by worldly philosophies and transgress the boundaries of the blessed path. So as you make your plans for this year, as you set your goals in the new year, ask the Lord to expose any worldly philosophies that may be driving some aspects of your thinking that in turn affect how you're living your life. In your workplace, do you join in on the grumbling and complaining? Or are you being a light, exhibiting the fragrance of gratitude for the opportunity to work heartily unto the Lord in that place? As a citizen, do you complain more about your leaders than you pray for them? If married, do you complain about your spouse or do you honor your spouse? Do you see children as a burden or as a blessing to be appreciated, a gift from the Lord? Young people, do you see your parents' authority as something to resist and complain about? Or do you see it as a protection and a provision from the Lord in your life for your good that is to be honored and appreciated? Do you have the world influencing the way that you think and the way that you live? Walking in the path that God blesses requires that you resist worldly influences in your life. Reject worldly counsel. And it's coming at you from all sorts of angles. It's all over the place. And you have to resist that influence. Reject worldly counsel, reject worldly conduct that that counsel inevitably leads to. The next key to keeping your feet in the path that God blesses is to saturate your mind with God's word. Saturate your mind with God's word. Verse 2 But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. There's a contrast here. We need to resist worldly influences. We need to avoid receiving worldly counsel that inevitably leads to sinful conduct. But even without worldly influences in our lives, our own fleshly thinking still will get us into trouble. There's a source of counsel to resist, but there's also a contrasting source of counsel that we absolutely need to take in. 
We need to seek counsel from God's word. The blessed man is one who delights in God's law and he meditates in it day and night. The the Hebrew concept of law is a much broader sense than the legislative sense that we associate it with in English. The Old Testament saint would think of the law of Yahweh as Yahweh's instruction. And they would think about it like a path that showed the covenant people of God the way to live in harmony with God and his way, ways. It's, a, it's like a path that leads to life. And so the law functions here, as it does in other places, as basically a synonym for God's word. It's God's word, God's revelation, revelation about himself, revelation of his truth. What better counsel could you possibly get than to take in the words of the God who made everything? He knows everything about everything. He knows how everything works because he designed everything. He holds the blueprints to everything. He holds the operation manual to everything. He knows how everything works. It is the height of arrogance for someone to contradict what the Creator says. It is the height of wisdom to delight in what God says and to saturate your mind with what God says. This word delight is to find desirable, to find pleasure in. Flip over with me to Psalm 19. See a beautiful description of God's word, which is desirable. In verse 10 of Psalm 19, the word of God describes itself as being more desirable than gold. Yes, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. To delight in the word, you must see the value of the word for your soul. That it is like a treasure, more valuable than gold, sweeter than honey, even the sweetest drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 7 speaks of this word and its value for the soul. It speaks of how the word restores the soul, how it makes wise the simple. Verse 8, it rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. Verse 11, it warns God's servants. And in keeping or obeying this word, there is great reward. The blessed man's delight is found not in the counsel and lifestyle of the wicked. His delight is found in God's word and the nurture that that word provides for his soul. Even the warnings of the word are appreciated. The conviction of sin brought by the word because it leads us to the repair of our communion with God when we confess and forsake our sin. 
and find compassion with him. Now looking back at Psalm 1 verse 2, we see that the blessed one delights in God's word and he meditates in it day and night. The word translated meditates means to mutter or to moan. It depicts the repeating of the words under one's breath out loud as one thinks deeply about them, talking these words over, processing them, thinking about them, what their significance is. The aim of meditation is to saturate your mind with the Word of God. This is nothing like the world's kinds of of meditation. Talk of, of trying to empty your mind or imagining being in some kind of happy place or, or, or other things of that nature. Stay away from that stuff. By biblical meditation is to be focused on God's Word, filling your mind with the Word of God and doing so day and night. And day and night is a merism, which is a figure of speech in which two contrasting parts of a whole are used to represent the whole. So meditation day and night is essentially describing meditation all day long. The Puritans are known for their deep insight into God's word and their powerful applications of God's word to life. And one of the keys to their fruitfulness in these areas was their commitment to deep and constant meditation on the word of God. The Puritan Thomas Hooker describes the biblical concept of meditation as a serious intention of the mind, whereby we come to search out the truth and settle it effectually upon the heart. You meditate on it to understand it, and you meditate on it so it will affect your heart and drive your life. It's running a passage of Scripture through your mind repeatedly, so that you deepen your grasp of it, and then the implications of it are driven home to your particular life. Another Puritan, John Ball, said of meditation that it is a serious, earnest, and purposed musing upon some point of Christian instruction, tending to lead us forward toward the kingdom of heaven and serving our daily strengthening against the flesh, the world, and the devil. Meditation on God's word is a daily need for you to be strengthened, to walk in the ways of your king, and to resist the influence of your flesh in the world and the devil. Thomas Watson likened meditation on God's word to an animal chewing cud. The animal chews and then swallows and then spits back up and chews some more. And repeats this process to thoroughly digest and to extract nutrients from what it's eating. Meditation is like chewing the cud. Digesting the word to extract its nutrients for the nourishment of your soul. John Ball aptly noted that without meditation, 
Truths are devoured, not digested. If you just devour it and don't really soak it in, it'll be of little effect. You won't get much of the nutrients that you need. Another picture I thought of in, in thinking about meditation was a tea bag. If you just dip a tea bag in some hot water, what do you get? Hot water. You have to leave the tea bag in there for a while. You have to let it steep in that hot water. And eventually, what you're trying to extract from those tea leaves starts to come out and it starts to permeate that water and transform it into tea. Meditation is that process of letting this tea bag steep in the water long enough for it to pervade throughout the water and ultimately pervade throughout your life, your mind and your life so that you are transformed by it. If you want the word of God to pervade and transform your heart and life, you must meditate on it. Thomas Watson contends that without meditation, the truth of God will not stay with us. The heart is hard and the memory slippery. And without meditation, all is lost. Meditation imprints and fastens a truth in the mind. It takes work to chew the cud and extract the nutrients. It takes time for the tea bag to steep and to make tea. But it is in the chewing and in the steeping that the treasures of the word are mined out and firmly fixed upon the heart and applied in specific ways to your thinking and to your actions. Describing the spiritual battle that we're up against when we try to do what Psalm 1-2 tells us the blessed man does, Watson observes that to meditate on worldly, secular things, even if it were all day, we can do without any, any diversion. But to have our thoughts fixed on God, how hard do we find it? No doubt our great enemy, Satan, is seeking to divert our minds from matters of eternity by providing distractions. He tries to fill our minds with trivial things. If you have been neglecting the call to meditate on the word of God, turning a corner on it begins with confessing that to God. Confessing a failure to delight in his word, to value his word, and to recognize your daily need of its nutrition for your soul. Confess to him priorities that may be out of order, spiritual laziness, whatever else it is that's contributing to not walking in this blessed way. And then repent. Treat the word like the treasure that it is. Because God's word says it's more valuable than gold. It is sweeter than honey. That is true. If we're not seeing it that way, it's a problem with us, not with the word. We must treat the word like the treasure that it is. Protect times for focused meditation on the word. And seek accountability to support you in following through on your plans to be one who truly meditates in God's word day by day. 
and enjoy the blessedness that comes with such a commitment to walk in the path that God blesses. This path is basically paved with God's word. His word paves the way that we are to walk. If you walk in his word, you walk in the path that he blesses. But if you're not digesting and steeping in his word, your mind won't be saturated with it to the extent that your thinking and living would be deeply and thoroughly driven by it. You must meditate on the word. Concerning the preached word, the Puritan Henry Smith laments that the only cause why you forget so fast as you hear is because you went from sermon to dinner and never thought any more of the matter, as though it were enough to hear, like sieves which hold water no longer than they are in a river. What a picture. If you want to avoid hearing with a sieve that retains no water once it's pulled out of the river of preaching and teaching, you must take time to meditate on the word preached and taught, to think about its implications personally for you. You must meditate on the truths delivered to you and consider how God would have you change and grow for his glory in light of his truth, in light of what his word says. One very practical help with this can be to take intentional time to discuss with family or friends shortly after receiving preaching and teaching of God's word, to discuss what stood out to you, what stood out to them, how it's challenged you, how it's encouraged you, how you intend to imply it in the days ahead. We do this also in our our care groups Wednesday evenings. Uh, My family and I have been so personally blessed by participating in that, being able to spend time with one another, reflecting on the truths that we're taking in. I would encourage you to make use of that opportunity if you're not already doing so, and if you're able to do so, uh, it's a blessed time where we can meditate on the truth together. A great aid to meditation is the memorization of Scripture. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 11, Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. The word treasure there conveys the idea of keeping or storing up the word in your heart. As you work at committing to memory, word for word, what the scripture says, you will find that meditation tends to naturally occur in that process as you think word after word after word. When Jesus was refuting the temptations of the devil in the wilderness, he quoted scripture. That means he had scripture committed to memory. So having the word stored up in your heart like that can give you truth to meditate upon as you go along in your activities throughout the day. If you've committed the word to memory, you can take it anywhere you go, and it'll be there for you to recall, to mind. It equips us to discern error when we come across it. It equips us to fight temptation right in the midst of it. Having the word stored in our hearts reminds us of who God is and the assurance of his promises he's made to us. 
It reminds us of his commands and the way we're to go. It reminds us of his wisdom for our lives as we reflect upon scripture that we've memorized. As you look forward to the next year and aim to walk in the path that God blesses, I want to encourage you to let it be a year of saturating your mind with the word of God. Chew the cud. Steep in the word. Let it wash and renew your mind and see how the Lord works in your life to make you more like his son. See how the Lord works among us as a church to mature us in the faith, to deepen our worship of God, to strengthen us to be his witnesses and to be faithful to make disciples. Saturating your mind with the word of God to the extent that it dominates your thinking each day is what God has called us to do, to meditate in his word to such an extent that the word has control over you and drives your life. And if you don't have a a Bible reading plan picked out yet, there's still time for the new year, if that's when you're going to start a new one. And I would encourage you, uh, we have Bible reading plans you can pick up here. Ligonier has a ton of Bible reading plans on their website. If we're not careful to plan for these things, they often don't happen. But we need to be in the Word daily. And so I would encourage you, avail yourself of a Bible reading plan to help you be in the Word. You can carry Scripture memory cards with you wherever you go. You can use audio Bible. There are all sorts of tools available to us today to take the Word of God with us, to press ourselves to keep reflecting upon it as we live our lives, because it's supposed to inform our thinking. It's supposed to inform our interactions. It's supposed to inform our decisions. And so we need it flowing through our minds as we go about our day. Even as a busy family, you can work on scripture memory while you're driving from one event to another. There's all sorts of ways to to work this in and to make it a priority to take God's truth with you everywhere. I want you to be encouraged, church, because many of you do these kinds of things already, and that's commendable. So be encouraged. And, and also I would say, in the words of the Apostle Paul, excel still more. Take it up a notch this year. Go deeper. Walking in the path that God blesses requires that you shut out worldly counsel, worldly influence, and it requires that you saturate your mind instead with the word of God so that it drowns out the other voices. The third key to walking in the path that God blesses is to pursue godly prosperity. Pursue godly prosperity. Verse 3, he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. What a glorious picture we have before us. 
that conveys to us the rich blessing that results from a life that is saturated in the Word of God. What happens as a result of that? It's a tree planted, nourished, bearing fruit. That word planted is passive, which means it probably indicates some intentionality that someone has planted it there. Perhaps the tree has been intentionally planted by an irrigation channel where it receives a continuous supply of water so that it can flourish. Though in a desert terrain, this tree is flourishing because it is tapped into God and his blessing that comes through his word. The tree represents the blessed man. The water represents the word that his roots are tapped into. The leaves are a sign of his spiritual health, vitality, and the fruit is a reflection of the activity of his life, lived for God and his glory. The end of verse 3 leaves the imagery and speaks of the blessed man's prosperity. That in whatever he does, he prospers. This is a godly kind of prosperity that's fueled by a life tapped into the word of God. That's driven by a life that isn't subject to the word of God. It's not what gets peddled today in the prosperity gospel. Where life is primarily about material prosperity as the goal and the sign that you're favored by God. The the health and wealth or name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. That is a false gospel. Godly prosperity is living a life that pleases God and not your selfish desires. Many of you know the saying, there are only two choices on this shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And it boils down to that again and again in your decisions in life. The prosperous life in God's eyes is one of faith in Him and His Word. It is a life shaped and driven by the Word of God. It is a life devoted to doing what pleases God and glorifies Him. And so as you make your plans for this next year, what will be the primary driver behind how you Set your schedule, how you set your life pattern. Will it be the desire to achieve the greatest heights of worldly success? Or will it be the desire to live a quiet life of diligent work unto the Lord while prioritizing spiritual growth in your home and church and participating in the advancement of the Great Commission? If you are a faithful worker, the Lord may bless you with wealth and resources, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you must not sacrifice biblical ordering of your priorities in your life in order to try to acquire those resources. Your priorities must be kept in biblical order. And you must see those resources that God blesses you with as owned by God and needing to be stewarded by you according to the principles of God's word. So aim to prosper in God's eyes by living a life that pleases and glorifies him, your maker and your redeemer. Don't live to please your flesh or to be esteemed in the eyes of men. 
but live for him. The final key to walking in the path that God blesses is you need to live in view of eternity. You need to live in view of eternity. Picking up in verse 4, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Verse 4 gives us another agricultural picture like the tree from verse 3. The imagery here is of chaff separated from grain and driven away by the wind. What they would do to harvest, collect the grain was they would get it separated from the husk and other debris by tossing it and they would locate the threshing floor in a windy place where that wind could capture those light, the light chaff, lift it up and take it out and then the, the grain would be heavier and settle down there on the threshing floor. And so the chaff is something that you think of as having no substance to it has no substance, it's useless waste, it is to be discarded. That's the picture. That's what the wicked are likened to. They have no substance. They're useless. They're fit only to be discarded. That's why you have no business living according to their counsel and their conduct, because you see their end. That's the conclusion their lives are leading to. And for that reason, verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will be condemned. Sinners will not stand with the righteous. They will be separated from them and judged. And the psalm ends with a clear line of division. At the base level, there are two kinds of people in the world. Only two. When you boil it down, everyone falls into one of two categories. Verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There are those who walk in the way of the righteous, and there are those who walk in the way of the wicked. Two people, two kinds of people, two paths, two different ends. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Therefore, it will be watched over by him and sustained. But the way of the wicked will perish. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is drenched in Psalm 1 wisdom. It begins with several blesseds that mark those who are citizens of his kingdom. And then if we turn to Matthew 7, toward the end of that sermon... We see there that Jesus draws a dividing line between groups of people in the world. He speaks first of two ways or paths. Verses 13 and 14. There's a narrow gate and there is a wide gate with a broad way. There's a small gate, narrow way that leads to life. There are few who find it. 
two paths. Two paths, two different ends. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. Here, Jesus is pulling forward that Psalm 1 picture of two ways. And then he goes on and talks about speaking of good trees and bad trees that bring forth good fruit and bad fruit. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but he will say to the superficial and false worshipers in verse 23, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. He knows the way of the righteous, but he doesn't know these. And then Jesus concludes by describing people who are building their lives on two different foundations. There's one who builds their foundation on what? The word of Christ. The words that Christ has said. He builds his life on those words. And there's one who does not. The one who builds on Christ's words is like one who builds on rock. The one who builds not on Christ's words is like one who builds on sand. Both of them hear the word. But only one acts on those words. Only one of them has God's words effectual in their lives. And that's what sets them apart. Jesus is laying out again and again, there's two kinds of people, two paths. And ultimately, the foundation of the paths is either the word of God or the counsel and ways of the wicked. And they will meet two very different ends. We see the picture that the one who's built on the word sustains through storms. But the one who builds on the sand perishes. The Lord knows the way of the righteous the way of the wicked will perish. And so, which of these two describes you? Is your life truly founded on the word of God? Not just hearing the word, but having the word saturate your mind, having the word drive your life. If you're not on that path, you need to understand you've not been born of the Spirit. You've not been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in that situation, none of these keys are going to profit you anything because you first have to have your relationship with God made right before the keys of this path can be effective for you. It's the only way it will work. These keys work in the life of one who is in covenant relationship with God through faith in his Son. You see, Jesus is the truly blessed man in Psalm 1. He alone has truly rejected the influence of the counsel and conduct of the wicked. He alone has delighted in fully and saturated his mind in the word of God, he alone lived a perfectly prosperous life of pleasing and glorifying his Father in every respect. And he alone has lived with a proper perspective of eternity. He saw the eternal peril reserved for sinners, and he was obedient to his Father all the way to the point of death on the cross. The truly blessed man became an accursed man on the cross 
to save all that the Father had given to him to save. And then he rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. And all who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus' work alone to save you from your sins, you will be saved. If you've not yet been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, let today be the day that you turn from your sin and you trust in Christ alone and follow him. And for those of you who are trusting in Jesus, you need to remember to live in light of eternity. Persecution will come to you for living a life grounded in God's word and against the way of the world that is in rebellion against God. You will experience loss as you face trials that God is using to make you more like Christ. And so you need to keep your eyes on the prize. You need to keep your eyes on Christ. You need to keep your eyes on the hope of everlasting life as you suffer living in a fallen world. Let the anticipation of hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant, drive you to live boldly for Christ's glory today and in the days to come. Don't store up treasure here on earth, but devote yourself to what will count for eternity. And that includes even the mundane tasks that God has given to you to be faithful with day by day. God gives eternal significance to those things when they're done in faith, when they're done as worship to God. They matter to God. He's glorified by them. You will be rewarded for a faithful walk. And so be encouraged to do all things for the glory of God in worship to God. Keep your eyes on eternity as you live in the present. My prayer for us as individuals and as a church in the next year and in the years to come has been that we would walk in the way that God blesses. Walk in the way that God blesses. He's paved it out with his word. My desire for us is that we will not be tossed about by the philosophies and practices of the world which can creep into our lives and can creep into the church. We must resist that and trust God's word. Be a people of the word. Be a people whose minds and lives are saturated with the word of God that we are hearing and acting on his word as we labor to to meditate on it to soak in the nutrients and have it explode in our lives. Also want us to be pursuing godly prosperity, doing what pleases and glorifies God rather than what pleases and glorifies us. And know oh, that we would live our lives in view of eternity, investing in what will last and not in what will perish. May we devote ourselves in the coming year and years to walk in the path that God blesses that we might live for the glory of his name. And may we do so by faith in his good gospel by which we have been saved and through which we are being sanctified and enabled by the Holy Spirit to worship and to serve him.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings in our lives over the last year. We look forward to what you have in store in the coming year and years ahead. Whatever time you grant us to have here on this earth, what a privilege we have to grow in knowing you more, learning your ways, growing in communion with you, learning to delight in you and your word. Help us to walk, Lord, in the path that you bless, paved with your word. Help us, Lord, to resist the influence of the world, to saturate our minds with your truth, to seek to prosper in ways that are pleasing and glorifying to you, and to live our present life in light of eternity, investing our lives in the things that have eternal significance. May we do so in our individual lives, and may we do so as a church, that you may be glorified in it all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.